February the 19th, 2014, the title of today's message is, Is He Worth It? Is He Worth It? And the question is, wow, I got two yeses. I'm sorry, sorry, yeah. The answer is yes. The question is, is he worth it? Thank you for helping me along. So, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Say there when you're there. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. How many of you guys raise your hand just for some spontaneous involvement here? How many of you guys have read that at least five times? That's everybody in the room. Fantastic. In the deepest and darkest hours that you've been in while in Jesus, does this verse just jump right out and rescue you out of that muck and mire? That's not one of the first ones that comes about, to be honest with you. But it's safe to say that this is a fundamental kingdom principle. And I just want to break it down a little bit share a bit about how that's been at work within my life, but also I want to inspire you, uh, uh, provoke you to think about how it has been within your life. So first and foremost, as we break it down, and without faith, it is impossible to please God. Faith is the currency of the kingdom. There's nothing by which the kingdom of God advances forward without it. But there's an antithesis antithesis to this. This says faith without faith is impossible to please God. So you turn that around. With faith, what becomes impossible? Nothing. With faith, nothing is impossible. The foundation that you and I have in our walk with Jesus the very first day that you answered that question, is Jesus worth it? And you said, yes. That began a walk of obedience, of trust-grounded obedience that said, yes, I believe that God is who he says he is and that in him and through him, everything is possible. Now, if you're anything like me, when you get in certain situations or repetitive situations, just depends on which ones, you forget that all things are possible to him, are, are, are possible for him to overcome. And when you're standing there, you're looking at the circumstance. All you can see is your, your emotion. All you see is the, the person, the physical element in front of you. What is hardest to see is the possibility that God is who he says that he is. Now, we read the word, we get encouragement from story after story after story of men and women of God who have gone before us and have endured 200 times as much as we ever have, and they've overcome. They've proven to us that God is who he says again and again and again. But can you agree with me that in those moments when you feel overwhelmed and oppressed by a situation, you're just not connecting with what's happening in the Old Testament? That's the God's honest truth of what's happening within your heart. But at some point, 
a switch has got to flip. Because if it doesn't, if you stay there too long, you'll linger to the point where you're going to be without faith. And therefore, things do become impossible because God doesn't dwell within the realm of unbelief. He doesn't. Where he does dwell is the heart that says, even though my eyes see what they see, even though my heart feels what it feels, my mind thinks what it thinks, God is greater than what I feel. God is greater than what I see. He's greater than even what is afflicting my own body. Come on, that's one of the hardest times is when you hurt. And let's say you hurt for an unjust cause. So, for instance, like when your wife kicks you in the shin and you didn't do anything about it. It's hypothetical. I'm just saying it's there. No, let's say you're beaten for the gospel. Uh, I have in my house uh, a, a subscription of Voice of the Martyrs. It is so hard for me to read that. I read it, and my heart breaks, and I feel like such a selfish pile of stuff that's usually found in cow fields compared to the faith of these men and women. How dare I complain? But much more than that, how dare I demand the comforts of God in my life when I'm not even willing in my heart, willing to do what they've done by me just reading their story. First and foremost, faith is the currency of the kingdom, and without it, it is impossible to please the living God. Secondly, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he, what? Exists. Now, Having some of the Hebraic roots teaching that we have, what is the name of God? How do you say it? Yahoo? Yahoo? No. Yahweh. And what does the name Yahweh mean? I am. So whenever Moses is being commanded by God at the burning bush to go to Egypt, and Moses asks God, who do I tell them who sent me? How did God reply? Tell them I am sent you. An all-encompassing name. If God can stand outside the realm of impossible, you would imagine that his name does the exact same thing. Because name is function. The name of God is the function of God. That means he is the alpha. That means he is the omega. There is nothing that can him or pin him in. And if we embed our lives within the realm of God's name, then nothing is impossible. So anyone who comes to him must believe, must have trust-grounded obedience that he is I am. I was reading uh, this breakdown in the Greek interlinear. And this transcends what an American, a churched American, would think when they read this, believe that God exists. Well, um, just about every human being, besides a handful of atheists in comparison, believe that God exists. But do they believe that he is I am? And what it said in the interlinear Greek is, and believe that God, he is I am. When you find yourself this week, tomorrow, next week, next year, 
standing in that valley of the shadow of death, Natalie, you read from Psalm 23, I am stands with you. I am transcends the impossibility of where your feet are standing. I was drawn to this verse today because whenever you pull up a, a Bible program on my computer, there's a daily word from Spurgeon. Anybody know who Spurgeon is? Charles Spurgeon. Fantastic man of God. Uh, while he studied, he also was enveloped in the cloud of incense, commonly known as, well, anyway. So a great man of God who studied and came up, or not came up, but d- discovered wonderful jewels of the kingdom of God. And I want to share what he, be, what, what he read or wrote for today's devotion. When you have had great deliverances out of sore troubles and mighty helps in great danger, you have been able to say, I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. The things that we ask for are precious, but we do not realize their preciousness until we have sought for them earnestly. Come on, there are some possessions that you have in your house, maybe even on your person right now, that in the world's eyes, pennies on a dollar. They're cheap. They're insignificant. But why are they valuable to you? There is a price that was paid, not just in money alone, in time, in effort, and in pursuit. So, in speaking of pursuit, most of you ladies are very familiar with the culture of garage sailing, right? What does it mean to you whenever you find a barbecue pit for your husband that is the new Brunfield smokers, it's all iron, thick gauge, real metal wheels, a little bit of rust, and the guy asks you, would you take 30 bucks for this? And my, my wife says, well, I think I will. She found not just a deal, she found a steal. She brought it home to me, and it was one of the most precious gifts that she's ever given me beside 15 years of faithful marriage and four beautiful kids. This is like right down below those guys. I had to make sure I put that in right order. What I didn't know or was aware of is that she was in a caravan of about 10 other ladies who were all in pursuit of great treasures of the kingdom of their own households. And after many toilsome hours and donuts and coffee going on, they found this one jewel. And this jewel meant something to her because it meant something to me. The pursuit of the kingdom of God is the demonstration of faith. Seeking the God who transcends the impossible. Do you believe? Do you trust? Do you demonstrate the kind of pursuit that says, yes, he is worth it? We can say all day long, I will stand in front of a firing line and give my life for Jesus. Imagine that moment. The guns are drawn. They're pointed at you. They killed the first Three people in front of you, you know and you feel what's coming. And those three people were people that are sitting on your right and left in this room right now. 
and that agony, that pain, but also that joy simultaneously. Imagine experiencing that every single day. Because, yes, that is easy to do one time, that ultimate time. But whenever Jesus says, in order to be my disciple, you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and you follow me. That is walking in the state of being crucified with him over and over and over. Beginning at the age of seven, whenever your parents look at you and say, you want to be baptized, baby? Give up your Barbie. Oh, my God. It just pulls at my heart. Not mine personally. It was Bethany's. But in that moment, the king of kings asking for the very treasure that you have, is he worth it? Is he worth 20 years of waiting for a promise to come true? What makes Isaac so precious? Is it the fact that God promised that to Abraham? Yes and no. Yes, because God said it and it happened. The problem that we have is that interim in between. What makes having four girls so precious to me is because of the fight that we had for the first three years and losing the first two. What makes marriage so beautiful? Is it just the day that you're standing there and she's beautiful and you're handsome and you say I do and it's ta-da and doves are released? Or is it the end of a lifetime that there is a legacy of faithfulness and bearing fruit unto God and there's a celebration of a 50-year anniversary? Which is greater? The 50-year anniversary. One is special than the first one because it initiates a covenant But what is even greater is the 50-year mark that has provided a consistent pursuit, eagerly seeking I am, eagerly pursuing the will of God. So what jumped out to me in, in Spurgeon's statement was what is precious to us becomes precious because of the pursuit. It's kind of like my wife. She is precious to me. Because, son, I had to work for her. Joseph, not Joseph, Jacob didn't have anything on what I had to go through for her. That's right. I labored like I had a 10-pound baby. She played hard to get. So this is what would happen. Oh, yeah, I got to go into this, man. This is going to be good. I like it. It's my turn. I got the mic. You can't take it from me. So... In pursuit of this beautiful woman, she actually pursued me first and said, hey, you have a nice smile. What are you? Like, what ethnic race are you? After I answered that question, we got to know each other. I would call her and we'd hang out for one week and everything was going great and this is awesome. And all of a sudden, for no unexplained reason, cold as ice. Nothing. I'd call her. She wouldn't answer. I come home each day from work, and I'm looking for that little red light on my answer machine. Zero. Oh, man, you got to be killing me. So a week would go by, nothing. I see her in church, and she act like I was, like, blended into the wall. I was just nothing hanging up there. Then, all of a sudden, 
all of a sudden, we're back to friends again. We did that for like, felt like 100 years, but it was probably about four months. I'd say five. So it felt endless, and I couldn't figure out why. And finally, no joke, I'm crying out to the Lord, Jesus, I need to know. I mean, know that this woman is for me, that you're putting her as my bride because I'm pursuing her, but she is running away from me, then back at me, then away from me, then back at me. I'm getting confused here. So finally, through another couple in the church confirmed, I was to write a letter. Ooh, everybody say, ooh. This is that drastic letter of when a man or young man puts his heart on a piece of paper and it's do or die. It's lying in the sand. It's time. Either you're going to get on board or you can go find another ride. That's the way it's going to work. So I put all of my heart in that letter and even used the words marriage. Because I mean, marriage and I love you. Because that, that, that's just, uh, yeah, yeah, that's right. And when I did, it was like, you know, sealing the, the announcement to the, the Oscars or the Emmys or something. It's like, okay, the whole world is going to know when I hand this letter. It's going to be evident one, one way or the other. I was scared to death. But I felt the presence of God on me as I wrote the letter. And I gave it to her. And you know what she said? Yes. Yes, she said yes. She's right here. <laughs> she said yes. Actually, I proposed to her in a song during a Christmas party. So all of that said, there was something that I saw. I saw the kingdom of God within Cassidy Autumn Pontiff at the time, later P. Rowe. And that I knew she was worth being pursued. Come on, all you ladies can say amen to that, right? Come on, you don't spend hours in front of that mirror. And I'm just talking about a DSW. I ain't talking about at home. You don't spend all that time beautificating yourself just so that people overlook you. There's something innate within ladies that, you want to be valued. You want to be admired. You want to be pursued. Now, if you're married, it better be just by your husband. But that didn't originate just within you alone. Because where did woman come from? Man. She was taken from man's side. The heart of God is where we originate. Nolan, your emotions. Britain. Your way of thinking, intelligence, anger. Sometimes those two really are close together. The fabric of who we are is found within the DNA of God. So the heart of a woman to be pursued is also found within the heart of God. He pursued us. For God so loved who? That he gave his only begotten son. He pursued us by paying the ransom for us. Like a groom would a bride. But in turn, he also asks that we pursue him. The currency of the kingdom is trust, ground, and obedience. And that is an active demonstration of I value who you are. I want what you have. So is Jesus worth it? 
We, our mouths say yes, but what do our actions say? In that moment when he is calling for your obedience, that question is right in front of you. What will you do to answer it? Not just what will you say. What will you do to answer it? Let me describe eager. This is one of the keys to this. Definition of eager. A serious and intent mental state. A considerable or impressive amount. I'm sorry, not eager, earnest. Earnest is a serious and intent mental state. A considerable or impressive amount. Serious and sincere, not lighthearted or playful. The New Testament uh, word for this is uh, Strong's number 1567. It means to inquire, seek after carefully and diligently, investigate, crave, demand. And they put this one last. I love it. By Hebraism or within the Hebraic culture, worship. So to seek after carefully and diligently in a Hebrew or Jewish mind, is worship. So when we reread Hebrews 11.6 and say that because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Let's replace earnest with some of these definitions. He rewards those who seek after carefully and diligently seek him. He rewards those who investigate, crave, and demand seeking him. What does the fabric of your life, of my life, look like? Does it echo the scripture? Does it say, I crave the presence of God? I inquire. I want to investigate. I want to research the greatest depths of who God is because that's what it takes to please him. Of course, we know the more of God that we have, the more we are capable of doing. Amen? How do we get there? Well, I have proven that it's not by osmosis. I can't just sleep on my Bible and all of a sudden I memorize tons of it. It doesn't just fall into my lap by praying in the Holy Ghost for three hours. There is an effort that you and I have to make to seek the things of God. So everybody turn to uh, turn to Matthew 6:33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Another kingdom fundamental. When you are asking yourself, what is the will of God for my life today? Not just five years from now, but today. 
please go to this verse. Let it be the foundation that you put your feet on and begin your pursuit after God. I can tell you from my own experience, I have done this one last. I've gone and investigated and researched on Google. I've done my own homework. I've done all my own financial planning. And then I sought his kingdom last. And it was an utter mess until I stopped, threw away my plans at the feet of the king, and said, Jesus, what do you want me to do? When we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, there's not a thing after that that we really have to worry about. As long as I know that I'm being obedient to God, he is able to take care of the rest. But this is the true measure of whether or not we're willing to be trust-grounded obedience or walking in trust-grounded obedience. So when the Lord says, give this up, Give that up, whether it be a possession, a relationship, a a habit, you name it. Whatever the Lord challenges in your life to put aside for his sake, this has to be our first response. I'm going to seek you first because you're worth it. (laughs) You are worth it. And the real perspective is not only is he worth it, he is worth more than all of it. There's nothing greater than him. You know, the leader of the Moravian church, I can't pronounce his last name, the heart at which their beat pulsed was is for him and him alone. One in every 92 members of their churches willingly volunteered even to the point of offering themselves on a slave block to go be missionaries that the churches outside of their home church were three times as larger as the one back home. For him and him alone. The glory of God is the end of why you exist. How you participated in it is up to you. Turn to Isaiah 55. Verse 6 through 7. Is everybody there? Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord, and he will have mercy on him, and to our God, for he will freely pardon. You know, there's a day called today that his salvation is available. There's a day called today that doing his will is a must. I'm not going to get back today, Curtis. When I go to sleep, this day will be concluded, and whatever I sought out to do today better have been for the kingdom of God. Because when you and I stand before him and we give an account to everything done in the body, whether good or bad, today is going to be measured. Let's seek the Lord while he may be found today. And so, therefore, when you wake up tomorrow, 
when you're fixing that nice cup of coffee and breakfast, the, what should be on the forefront of your mind is, Lord, I'm going to go about my daily business, but I'm going to have my eyes wide open on what you want me to do today. When that is done day after day after day, 20, 30, 40 years, you can stand before the king of kings proud and hold your head up high. And he'll say, well done, my faithful servant. And there is a legacy of godliness that flows behind you. Not this Abraham, but is the Abraham in the Bible a great guy? This Abraham is a wonderful guy. Just want to clarify that. He's a great guy because he did great things because he trusted God in the greatest of moments. And the same goes for you and I. Let's go to Proverbs 25, verse 2. It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search out a matter is the glory of kings. You know, what lies within the kingdom of God are treasures. Think about that moment. And let's just think of here recently. A revelation. And y'all know what I mean. That God breathed understanding of a principle within his kingdom. That you've been wrestling to get for years and years and years. Or months and months. And it seemed to have eluded you. But finally, that switch flipped. Finally, you grasped something about God that you hadn't before. And it has changed, fundamentally changed who you are and how you follow him. It is to the glory of kings to search them out. It is to your glory and mine that we follow the spirit of God to search even the deep things of God. You know how pivotal it is to have that fundamental revelation that with God, nothing is impossible? Jennifer has it on, on her wall, or used to have it on her wall, in her old house. I remember sometimes we'll be sitting around, and we're just we're talking about church business and some of the complexities and uphill battles we have to do. And literally, we would all just kind of stop, and at one one motion would all gravitate and look at that scripture as big as day on the wall and say, how is God going to do this? I don't know, but it's not impossible for him. It's sitting right there on a the wall. <laughs> and ever since that one day that we all did that, I just, I found a solace and a peace that, you know what? It doesn't matter what I feel. It doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what obstacles are in front of me. God is bigger than my circumstance. You know what the hardest part, though, is? Is God bigger than my own mistakes? Because circumstance is one, but did I make that circumstance? And the answer is yes, absolutely. Now, it's not a license to sin, but does your life speak? Does it shout, I am earnestly seeking after the Lord? Next verse. Deuteronomy 4, verse 29. But if from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find him if you look for him with, everybody say it, 
with all your heart and all your soul. How long does it take to do that? Sometimes seconds, sometimes years. So you ever been in that place where you're just trucking along, doing what God's calling you to do, whether it be, you know, outreach ministry, just serving here, serving there, and it's, it's costing you something. You're tired, but you're not just totally empty. And then all of a sudden there's a brick wall that just hits you. And you come at a point where I can't get enough sleep. I'm broken and sick from head to toe. I still have to care for my kids and my job and everything else. There is not enough of me to go around. I'm having to give all of who I am to continue doing what God's called me to do. You know, when we operate we're just within our own strength and our own means, that's not to the point of giving all. When you reach that point of, oh, my goodness, I am totally empty, and, Lord, I need you now in order to function one more minute. Hey, you just reached all. Congratulations. If we're to seek him with all of our heart and all of our soul, then there is nothing, nothing that is out there that he will withhold from us. You know, he longs to confer or give us a kingdom, a kingdom to rest upon your shoulders, authority, power. But it comes at the cost of giving your all. So when you're evaluating this week areas of your life where that's not the case, where you feel that little tapping of the Holy Ghost, hey, come read the word with me. Hey, go serve this person. Don't neglect that phone call. Hey, you, you need to go do this. You need to seek me in this manner. And you go to brush it off and just, maybe that was me thinking. No, stop. Pay attention a little bit closer. Let the Lord have your all. Amen? So I want to read this to you. The treasures of the kingdom of God are hidden beneath the bedrock of calamity, peril, and distress. Without this protective layer, the jewels and gems that are so precious and eternal become to us an everyday commonality that collects the dust of our apathy and neglect. Why do I suffer? Are you guys the only one that asks that? No, my, my heart shouts it, if not my mouth. Lord Jesus, give me patience. Why? Why is this happening? Why all of a sudden when, when my best friend goes to India, all hell breaks loose and I got to bring his wife to the hospital and this one's sick, that one's sick, and this counseling, that counseling. Why? Because suffering is the tool at which God mines the gems of the kingdom. It cracks through all the protective layers that hide the preciousness of who he is. If I gave you, Justin, a spoon and said, go find me some diamonds in Africa, I bet you when you found one after digging, you would think that thing is worth more than any amount of money in the world because you had to pursue through difficulty to get it. 
Why do we have difficulty and suffering in our life? Because it produces perseverance. And perseverance, character. And character, hope. And the hope, this hope does not disappoint us because God has given us of his Holy Spirit. That's Romans 5. You and I live on the currency of the kingdom of faith, but we reap the benefits of having that anchor of hope. I know God will come through because I've counted the cost. I've given him my all. I've anchored my feet. And the answer to the question of, yes, he is worth it. You know, it's the same question that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered. Yes, Yahweh is worth it. If you go to the extent of saying, Jesus, I will not only die for you once, I will die for you every single day. There is nothing left for the devil to tempt you with. Nothing. You're walking with a cross on your back. You're denying the own cravings of your own desire, and you are walking in the dust of your rabbi Jesus who is directly in front of you. You know, if someone's right in front of you, there's not much other than you can see. So whenever I'm paying attention to too many circumstances and events and emotions and feelings, it's probably because my eyes are all around me, and I'm not keeping them directly on Jesus who's in front of me. Amen? Let's go to Hebrews 12. Verse 1 and 2. The verse that we read in chapter 11 and verse 6, what follows after it is what is known as the hall of faith. It lists the men and women of God that have gone before you and I, that have answered that question, yes, he is worth it. And they paid the ultimate price of even giving their lives, and if that, dying to themselves for 20, 30, 40 years. In concluding, the writer of Hebrews in 12.1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race that's marked out for us. There's a legacy that God wants to give you, Jacob. He wants to give you, Doug. There's a position, a spot on your shoulders that the glory of God seeks to rest upon and settle in on. And his name becomes your name. That you have the opportunity to participate in his divine nature. But when we look at all those who have gone before us, we're to be inspired. We're to see that sin easily entangles. And we throw it off. And we run that race. We pursue. We are earnest about seeking the kingdom of God first. And in doing so, We fix our eyes on Jesus. He's the target. He's the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. 
Is he your pearl of great price? Is he your hidden treasure? That thing that you're willing to sell, everything you've got to go after. Is that who he is? And if the answer is yes, then hold your head up high and keep on running. Help us set the pace. If it's not, ask for his help. Ask for his spirit to fill you, to empower you, to show you, to change you. There's a reason why the Lord named this ministry the way that he did. It initiated in one man's life, asking the Lord, change me when he was confronted with the truth of the kingdom of God. And that has not, that has not only con- been confined to him and him alone. You guys know that's the heartbeat of who we are. We're going to take the things of God and we're going to change from who we were into who we need to be. 10, 15, 20 years from now, there needs to be story upon story upon testimony about the great things that God has done through every person in this room. There needs to be story after story of how each one of your hearts has been unrelenting in giving up and pursuing the things of God. That you're no longer defined by what happened last month or last year, but what you're defined by is a legacy of being obedient to God. That's what we're after. Suffering wilts away our carnations of comfort that we have so eagerly planted beside the cross we have, we have to bear. It squeezes the depths of your soul, forcing you to cry out, my God, my God, why? When the more true question is what? There comes daily, if not weekly, when I catch myself asking God why. He keeps redirecting me and to not why, but what. I'm asking him, why is this happening to me? But where he's redirected me is, I should be saying, Lord, what would you have me do? One, the first one, wants an explanation. It wants an understanding. Lord, help me process this. Help me digest this in my my reasoning. Help me figure out what's happening to me. And that is not our entitled element. Our entitled element is you do what I ask you to do and trust me for the rest. That's what seeking the kingdom of God first is. And then all these things will be added to you. So when I finally turn to that point and I say, Lord, what would you have me do? I'm at your mercy. Guess what I find? He speaks. He answers. He shows me exactly what to do. And I encourage you with the same. If you find yourself this week, in the past, and definitely in the future, at a crossroad, in a tense moment where you do not know why this is happening, turn it around and say, Lord, what would you have me do? When Jesus asked for the Father to take this cup from him three times, After the third time, what was the final conclusion? 
Your will, not mine. Thy will be done, not mine. Our heart should be just exactly the same. I want the kingdom of God more than my own comfort. I want the kingdom of God more than I want to not have to suffer. Because I've answered the question, yes, Jesus is worth it. Last scripture, Psalm 34. We sang it today. Start in verse 4. I sought the Lord, and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Verse 5. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. You realize when you do the will of God, you do not have to hold your head down. You get to hold your head up high. You can be proud of what the Lord is doing through you, even though it's foolishness to everybody else around you. Verse 6. This poor man called, and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all of his troubles. So here's the exchange program. Currency change. You give God all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength, and he will deliver you from all your troubles. Doesn't mean that you won't be standing in a fiery furnace. It doesn't mean that you won't be hanging on a cross. What it means is that resurrection power is available for you in those moments. Amen? Amen. Let's stand on our feet.